You're listening to KKUP Cupertino 91.5 FM here in the Bay Area and beyond the Bay at kkup.org, where we're streaming live all over the world. So uh, it's eight o'clock and it's Wednesday night and you're hearing my voice. So it is the Poetry Hour, which is uh, Out of Our Minds, the longest running poetry radio show in America with me, your host, Rochelle Escamilla, a.k.a. Poetita. Um, tonight, I have an interview with Ayaz Perani, who is the author of Happy You Are Here. And I've had Ayaz on the show before, um, but this second part of the interview, or the second half, is um, him talking about his favorite poems, which is something that I've been working with with the poets uh, for the past couple of months. So um, here's the interview with Ayaz Perani. Um, so basically what I've been doing on the show for the past couple weeks is just celebrating, um, something that Robert Pinsky did when he was the, uh, poet laureate of the United States, uh, several years back. And he did the favorite poems project where he asked regular people to send in their favorite poems. And when I looked at the information online for it, everyone's picking Elizabeth Bishop and Marianne Moore and like all the, the American classics and then some of the English classics. But I thought it would be kind of cool to ask poets mm. who their favorite poem, po- poems are, what their favorite right. poems are, and why, and talk about that. Well, I don't know about the why part, but I could <laughs> certainly try to, uh, you know, um, uh, share some of my favorite poems. Yeah. Um, so, uh, as I mentioned in, the, in an email with you, I decided not to think about favorite poems, like, of all time. Right. Because uh, it's probably poems that everyone already knows, like Rilke or, or whatever. I decided to bring poems that I'm reading right now. And they've just been published uh, in the past uh, uh, couple of years. Oh, that's my book. Oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> I was like, hey, you're reading the same no. book I am. <laughs> well, I might. And yes, next. <laughs> so I just brought poems that I'm reading right now. I, I don't necessarily know much about the poets. They've just been published in the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. So people, I guess I'm admiring right now. And um, right now, at least, they, they're just some really great, um, good stuff. You know? So so when you think about your favorite poems, I mean, of course, we're not reading those poems. But, right. but what takes you back? I mean, what do you think are, who are the foundational poets of your favorite poems? Well, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's bound to be complicated for anyone, but I feel like it's especially, it's, um, I, that question is a little loaded for me, Uh. because um, if I'm honest, I would have to say that the classics for me, that my favorite poems, the poems that I grew up on are really the same ones that you would expect, Mm -hmm. because that's, that's all I encountered as a kid uh, in the form of poetry. So books like, you know, The Treasury of English Verse and The Oxford uh, Eng- um, English Verse and all the classics that you would expect in high school and middle school, um, you know, white poets. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's only later that I realized they weren't talking about me or... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or, or we weren't included in yeah, the conversation. <laughs> right. And that especially important for me, it was only later that I realized that I wouldn't be able to write like them. Mm. So uh, part of uh, going to graduate school and and, um, convincing myself that I could write was 
um, agreeing that I wasn't going to be able to write like my favorite poets from that I read growing up because those poets it turned out weren't writing about me you know and and um, I wasn't going to be able to access much of their um, you know their language or their their context mm -hmm. you know, it didn't it wasn't turned out it didn't mean very much to me <laughs> <laughs> isn't that funny the way that happens yeah it's probably why I wanted to bring poets I'm reading now mm. because um, just the odds would be that it would be a little more diverse and yeah. um, at the very least um, by being in by being uh, uh, in incredibly contemporary mm -hmm. um, it wouldn't seem um, nostalgic and uh, uh, from a bygone era, poems of a bygone era. <laughs> right. Um, you know, that's why, that's where I was, that's what I was going for. Yeah, no, I mean, I, when I think about what you were saying about, you know, um, having, having the foundation of our favorite poems and our favorite poets, the realization that they're not writing about us, to us, or with us anywhere yeah. in, in the vicinity of their existence, it really takes me back to my first favorite poet that was Robinson Jeffers. Right. And you mentioned that previously, <laughs> and it's, at the time, I, I was really shocked. Yeah. You know, it's completely surprising to me. Right. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, was taken on a I was taken on hikes by my college English teacher, um, Christina Salvin, over at Gavilan, and she took me on hikes at Point Lobos. Mm. It was the first time I had ever been on a hike, mm. and it was the first time I had seen the coast like I that. I see, I see. And so I went to Point Lobos and experienced this thing, and it became part of our family. So now my family does family hikes every year oh, yeah. at Lobos, yeah. and we have all that stuff, right? But then I went to San Jose State, and my teacher was like, we're going to learn about Robinson Jeffers, and he wrote this great, these great poems, and he lived in Carmel looking at Point Lobos. And I'm thinking... Wow, like everything right. sort of came together and at the time I mean I didn't really become aware of my of my brownness yeah. and my otherness until right. I went to grad school right. and so at the time it was this really exuberant space where like oh this guy is writing about something that is very dear to me but those things hiking and learning about Jeffers are such privileged spaces yeah. that someone like me yeah. from where I'm from it's so rare that we would even get those opportunities to experience right, right. so it was a weird yeah I, uh, that's why it was so shocking to me when you said it um, it's <laughs> I've been to Point Lobos many times and I can you know it's it's such a special place there's no doubt about it but to think that it would be a, a place of leisure um, uh, doesn't seem likely. It seems like a rarefied air, a special class of people, Carmel, etc. Right. Know. Right. And and when I, <laughs> and it and it and it took me, it took me some time to realize. I remember being in in graduate school and um, having a class with Ben Lerner, and he, we were talking about who our favorite po poets were, and I said Robinson Jeffers, not thinking anything of it, and he sort of stopped and said, he said sort of under his breath, but he didn't say it out loud. He said, Oh, it's just odd that yeah. you would say that right. and I didn't get it at the time and after I'm thinking oh well he's seeing something that I didn't see at all I was right. completely glossy-eyed about it yeah I don't know how I other poets feel about this like I, I don't um I have of course um friends that are white poets I'm a, right I, I'm afraid to say but um 
<laughs> no, I, I don't know how they feel about, for example, someone like Yates or, or Keats. Do they really feel uh, um, that they're one step closer to that uh, poet and uh, the, 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 um, the ideas and the images that um, a poet like that presents? Are they really closer or is it just as far away as it is for me when I read it now? Um, that's, I, you know, I don't know. That's such a good question. <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, it is a good question and it's a good thing to think about because I just, um, you know, I still consider some of Jeffers' poems still my favorite poems. Yeah. They still are. And when people ask me to justify it, I just, I can't. There's right. no justification for those poems. Yeah, I'm not saying that. I certainly wouldn't say that they should be thrown out. And I love, right. I love, I love my Keats too. You right. know, and and uh, Oscar Wilde and all of that. Um, I just, I guess, I'm just saying that if someone were to ask me, mm -hmm. uh, so they were asking me to like sort of um, decide, even on the spot, what my favorite poems were. I feel a little bit obligated mm. to reject. Mm. Um, almost all of the poems that I read growing up all the way up to grad school and instead look for works that um, were more honest or, or more honestly reflected my my yourself uh, well, yeah now now that I think about <clears> it <throat> do you know what I mean no I do I feel compelled I, I, I completely agree and that's how I feel about teaching classes and the books that I teach in mm. school and the poems that I teach to students um, it would be easy for me to teach Bishop. She's a favorite yeah. of mine, too. It would be easy for and me to teach... And such a master. Right, and a master. And Marion Moore. It would be fantastic to teach them. But I say to myself, well, but then who's going to teach them Ten-Easy Codes? Right. And who's going to teach them Claudia Rankine or Ana Castillo? You have to take the chance, right? You have to take that opportunity, you know. Uh, you, feel, you feel compelled to do it, you, ha you know. Yeah. Um, you'd be, you, I think you'd be letting the students down. How many chances would they get to read those other authors? Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, no, it's a very good, it's a very interesting and, and good conversation. Because even, even so, when I run into poets today, and like I said, when Robert Pinsky did the Favorite Poems Project and I looked at the website with all the favorite poems, it was all mostly white mm. with Langston Hughes thrown in there. Yeah, he always gets thrown in there. <laughs> or Gwendolyn Brooks. Or Gwendolyn or, you know, Brooks, like that. right? Yeah. Um, rare, or Gary Soto once in a while for the for the Hispanic voice. Um, but really, there there isn't a diversity of the people who are included in, in there. You know, I, th I guess you would have to expect that since he opened it up for um, the public to decide and it's probably natural that uh, the public would self-affirm mm. you know and uh, it, 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 it it's not quite like it but if you think about a poetry contest like winning a poetry manuscript mm. manuscript contest where they say that it's blind mm. On the one hand, of course, you absolutely want it to be blind, right. and you want everyone, you know, it to be completely fair. But you also recognize that it's it's very likely that most of the readers or judges come from a p particular place or particular class or particular experience, and if they read the manuscripts blind, it's likely that they would self-affirm, mm. or, or it's more likely that one would enjoy things that one knew. Mm, mm -hmm. And by being blind, it actually makes it harder. It makes it less likely, I think, for diverse voices to be, um, yeah, because to, to win. 
And that's what happened, I think, with Pinsky's choice of letting the public choose as well. People are naturally going to appreciate the things that they know. Mm. You know, and the public's going to choose those kinds of poems. I suspect. Yeah. No, it's 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 a very interesting topic to to go into. I mean, um, you know, the the reason why I wanted you on the show again is to have this conversation again because I think it's important and compelling to talk about the fact that if we're arguing in the world in, in the world of America about diversity being an important part of our existence and and um, you know bringing in different voices and recognizing people of color, recognizing immigrants, recognizing all these things, then it's a topic that we need to keep coming back to over and over again. And, uh, and I have to say, I really appreciate the last time you were on the show. Uh, it was fantastic. It was fantastic, and oh. you got a lot of hits. Oh, well, who knows? I got a lot of fans, I guess. <laughs> I guess, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> well, why don't we get into some, some right. of your favorite poems? Well, I thought I'd start with uh, Michael Andache. Okay. And uh, it's a poem called uh, Sweet Like a Crow. Let me get to it. Hold sure, on. no problem. So he's born in Sri Lanka, but lived most of his life in Canada. And I guess I wanted to read it because it's one of those great list poems. Mm. You know, the kind you do in MFA programs. <laughs> and, you know, when you read a poem like this, you s I think any good, well, not any good, but every poet um, would say, hey, I could do that. Like, I could, you know, I've got the skills to make a list like that. And therefore, I could also have a poem like that. That's you know, that it's, it's inspiring in that, in that sense. Anyways, it's called Sweet Like a Crow. Your voice sounds like a scorpion being pushed through a glass tube. Like someone has just trod on a peacock. Like wind howling in a coconut. Like a rusty Bible. Like someone pulling barbed wire across a stone courtyard. Like a pig drowning a vatica being fried, a bone shaking hands, a frog singing at Carnegie Hall, <laughs> like a crow swimming in milk, like a nose being hit by a mango, like the crowd at the Royal Thomian match, a womb full of twins, a pariah dog with a magpie in its mouth, like the midnight jet from Casablanca, like Air Pakistan Curry. <laughs> a typewriter on fire, like a spirit in the gas which cooks your dinner, like a hundred papadums being crunched, mm -hmm. like someone uselessly trying to light three roses matches in a dark room, the clicking sound of a reef when you put your head into the sea, a dolphin reciting epic poetry to a sleepy audience, <laughs> The sound of a fan when someone throws brinjals at it. Like pineapples being sliced in the peta market. Like Beetlejuice hitting a butterfly in midair. Like a whole village running naked onto the street and tearing their sarongs. Like an angry family pushing a jeep out of the mud. Like dirt on the needle. Like eight sharks being carried on the back of a bicycle like three old ladies locked in the lavatory, like the sound I heard when having an afternoon sleep and someone walked through my room in ankle bracelets. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Whoa. It takes so much work to produce something like that, but 
so worth it. Man, that was really good. Yeah, he has that kind of style. Of, all his work has that kind of pretense and style to it. Um, Will you tell me who it is again? His name is Michael Andace, and it comes from a book called There's a Trick with a Knife I'm Learning to Do. <laughs> Actually, that's that tells you, the title of the book tells you something about him. Right. You know, he has titles like uh, The Dainty Monsters, mm. Rat Jelly, <laughs> The Collected Works of Billy the Kid. You know, he has that kind of pretense about him. He's a novelist as well, and his novels are uh, sort of like long poems in some way. Mm. Um, but I, you know, it's a thank you. Yeah, it's a I've poem. never yeah. heard any of his work. Sure, thank you. Sure. See, that's why we do this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because now I'm gonna be like, oh, I gotta go get that book. Yeah. Plus, find the poems. Oh, let me Sorry. pause it. So, uh, you know, other th other than being a fine poet, what really um, the reason Andace means a lot to me is that he was my teacher when I first got to college at York nice. University. Yeah, just for a couple of years. Of course. He didn't even know me then, let alone now. <laughs> but um, he was, you know, he was born in Sri Lanka, and he he sort of mixes the modern, the the um, the very modern, with a, a kind of a wistful nostalgia, or I guess all nostalgia is kind of wistful, but mm -hmm. a, a nostalgia for Sri Lanka, for the East, mm -hmm. that um, attra um, attracts me and um, yeah. helps me in my own writing. You know. Yeah, the poem itself. I mean. When I was thinking about it, I was, I was thinking, well, it feels the 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 colors that are coming to me feel warm. They yeah. feel, they they feel like I'm somewhere else immediately. That I'm not in America right, anymore. Right, right. Which yeah. is funny because I mean, whether he wanted to do that or not, I don't know. But just giving us those cultural, those pieces of his culture that are not part of the mainstream of our culture yeah. here allows us to escape that yeah it's like a it's like a uh, just little bits of geography almost uh, it's not necessarily place names you know right. like names of rivers or whatever but it's it's objects from those geographies that uh, he drops in in all of his work that um, just sort of give you the air of, of something of know, something different. else yeah I don't want to say exotic but um, well. that's a little embarrassing but <laughs> that's what we're that's what we're right. used to being yeah but he told. Ga um he gives you that also plus that wistfulness that's, mm. that's i appreciate yeah well and the and a sense of honesty to self like mm. you know i mean i remember being in grad school and and being asked if i could write poems that didn't include so much of yeah. my mexicanism or right. my mexican heritage right. and i remember not thinking that talking about tortillas or these other things was very Mexican and so in many ways the people who were reading my work were saying like that's too exotic for them that's too weird for them it's too outside their space right. which didn't make sense to me um, because I didn't think that that was important and I and I thought that there were other things about the work that I wanted yeah. to hear about not I don't want to hear about how you can't get into my culture I want to hear about what about the line breaks what about the stanzas right. what about the what about this? I don't know if you felt this as well when you were doing your, um, when you were working with other poets and workshops and all of that. You know, there's this feeling in, um, especially I think in American poetry, that one shouldn't be too political. <laughs> yeah. That po poetry comes from, uh, comes from and speaks to matters that are not pedestrian, uh, sorry, that are 
more um they're special and not pedestrian and mm. political is pedestrian like don't go there don't why take it there don't um you know keep it uh keep it um lovely and tender and and uh, matters of of higher of 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 a more conceptual importance right uh, and the problem is is that anytime you mention something like tortillas or if I mention a mango or something right. like that, um, people think that I'm implicating some sort of political, uh, making it political, but right. I'm not. I'm just dropping in matters of my own geography. Right. But uh, in workshops, people react to that as my always wanting to talk about, for example, race mm. or, or something like that, and that I'm being slightly political when... Um, poem shouldn't necessarily do you see what I mean <laughs> yeah go there no I know um, I know um, you know I had uh, <laughs> I, I do feel that way and it's funny because there's I think what you're talking about and what I experienced is this, the very sort of academic side of, of poetry writing where where they want you to remain in a space that can be sort of defined by a history yeah um, you know, does mm. this fit in the roman romantics? Does this fit in a modern space? You know, I mean, Ezra Pound could be political, but he's Ezra Pound, you know. <laughs> yeah, but he, well, also I was going to say that, yeah, right, right. He, he's being, he's, he, can, he can get away with that kind of politics. Right. You know, um, and I, I'm not even trying to be political. Right. <laughs> but I, I, um, the words that I use or the images might implicate my people might think that I'm implicating it in po uh, po something political. Well, that's because the default world for them is not us. Yeah. And 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 it's funny because we're told, I know I'm told and I was told in the past election over and over again that I should consider myself to be part of this this group that I shouldn't consider myself to be other. Mm. And I, you know, had all these conversations about people like, no, I'm not, I'm still not considered part of your group. Even if we are voting on the same side of the fence, I'm still not part of your space because right. your default doesn't include me. And so anything we say automatically is abrasive. Yeah. It ruffles, it's not, it naturally ruffles feathers and, and, um, you know, it, it uh, it's so disappointing, I've it, got it's, to say. It is disappointing, but I mean, I know that... You're perpetually defending yourself. Yes. And, you know, that kind of thing. You're, you're, and, and as a woman, as a brown woman, anytime you bring it up, you're the angry black woman. Right. I mean, it doesn't right. matter. Right. Um, uh, I, I know, wasn't going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> I know that it's changing a little bit, a little bit, and the landscape is changing, but I don't think it's changing enough, and I don't think that popular media or anything or or the amount of education that's happening in America is not inclusive enough yet to change the conversation altogether. So I think it's just going to keep taking you and me and other people who believe that um, we need to be more inclusive to just stop creating a separation between groups of people in America. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But I know that when I was in grad school, one of the things that I was taught by Ben Lerner, um, who is famous now and probably doesn't remember me anyway, and Don Lundy-Martin, who was there, we didn't really talk about the polemic or the po political poem in the context of, of like subject matter, but they tried to teach me that it was political to just break the stanza 
or that the politics come in form. I see. Well, that would explain a lot of, I mean, that would explain imaginary animal then, <laughs> because, uh, you know, reading through that book a few times, it, you can tell, it, it would appear that you're, you're um, risking a lot with, uh, punctu I guess, um, capitalization, punctuation, um, mm -hmm. The form of the snippets and the poems on the page, mm -hmm. a lot of white space. Mm. So I guess that's the uh, that's being brave and and being political in form, you know, in formal ways. Right, and so that's kind of what I was interested in in graduate school when I took Don Lenny Martin's class. She had a book called The Matrix by somebody, and I I gotta look up the name, Pritchett, I think. Mm. And this book was um, white space and poems falling off the page and things be existing in margins. And then I was turned on to Raul Zurita, who has um, who's writing from the prison in Chile when everyone was was um, sort of disappeared when the disappeared were happening. So he has these very insane poems where mm. it's just repetitive, repetitive anger and frustration and depression and death. Mm. And then he has this like poem, which is just a bunch of fish, like actual drawn fish mm. that's in a pyramid shape. And then the next page, it's upside down. And you're just like, well, what am I supposed right, to do right. with these? And some people are like, oh, well, that's just now you're going into visual art. But maybe breaking the stanza is saying, hey, American form, all these this, these forms of American English language don't exist for me in yeah. the same way so maybe that's a political space yeah i haven't gone there myself you know i'm far more conservative i suppose in that informal ways than that yeah um <laughs> i guess it's a little embarrassing but um <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but you know i i have a little bit more fear probably about those kinds of things no but i like but it doesn't matter because your poetry is really fantastic and i think that that was just the instruction i was getting sure, at the time sure. um my next book <laughs> yeah, exactly. This book is fantastic. But let's go to another favorite poem. All right. Well, um, I thought I would read um, something by... It just came out, I guess, this past year, tw maybe 2015 or 2016. It's by Raul Fernandez. Mm -hmm. It's called Transmitter and Receiver. And I really don't know anything about him except... I like the cover. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's it's a great a cover. Book, yeah. I think it's from the Pacific Northwest. It says Vancouver, mm. but I really admire him. And I want it, if it's all right, I wanted to read two poems. Go ahead. They're, they're short. Yeah, it's fine. But yeah, they're very, fine. very special. Anyways, mm -hmm. the first one is called um, Melting Glacier Burning Forest. If you hear my baby cooing in the background, it's because <laughs> my baby is here. It actually works perfect for the second poem. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, sorry. So anyways, the first one is called... <laughs> Melting Glacier, Burning Forest Melting Glacier, to be honest, I only skimmed your letter mm. Rising ocean, I poured all my savings into bad cinema Gathering storm, I did not consider the narrative of my coffee beans I settled on lazy automatics I ate the messenger animal Calving iceberg, you asked a beautiful question. I faltered. Fevered sea, my blood thickens with jellyfish. Can I take something for this? Can I use the heat of this for any practical use? Approaching hurricane. I'm apologizing too late. 
They kept telling me to stay in the moment. So here is the moment. I drove a million cars down a million highways to clear my head. I drove and drove, burning forest. I drove and drove and drove and drove and drove. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's so special. It's so unusual. Wow. Um, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's f uh, risky formally, you know, mm. little epistles to, to, you know. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. He's a real, it's a very interesting guy. The, the, the book, uh, you know, I haven't really um, uh, done much with, much with it, but he appears to be very interested in technology, computers. In the back of the book, in the notes, he says, uh, this book machine is set to transmit gratitude to all who have helped <laughs> in its formation. You know, he, <laughs> nice. he, he seems like a, a, an ultra-modern poet, right up to the minute kind of poet mm. um, talking about things like as in this one disaster you know environmental disaster and machines and um, some of the poems have a kind of um, machine rhythm you know a regularity a beat um, mm. he uses a lot of language from from the machine world it's very interesting <laughs> yeah no I like it already I yeah. can't wait to look them up well, anyways this one's called the second one's called um, possible wolf you know and it's for your kid okay <laughs> possible wolf we watch the sleeping newborn with disbelief because we think she must trust her surroundings enough to fall asleep there mm -hmm. trust the swaying blinds shards of light the mobile of origami cranes in slow twirl <laughs> the ticking clock the owl, the fox, the vase of yellow roses, the textured ceiling, the shelf of books, all of which she cannot comprehend. Hmm. How could she? But there she is, asleep on the bed in the soft mouth of the world, and us, possible wolf, possible bear, watching over her, hmm. flickering, transforming. Hmm. You know, isn't that sweet? Wow. So amazing. Wow, that Such was so good. Such an amazing poem, yeah. I've got to get that book. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, 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 that's just one of my favorites. Really yeah, my good. wife loves that one too. It's and I thought nice. about it when you asked, you know, and I knew you'd, um, <laughs> you'd had a kid and everything. Yeah, so. yeah. I managed to live through that. <laughs> So has that occurred to you? The you know that there's this thing that just trusts you completely and yeah, we 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 definitely feel that way. And you know, I mean, there are moments, you know, as a as a woman when I was pregnant and also afterwards, like just the hormonal changes that happen, where like all of a sudden, everyone that you thought was a friend. Mm suddenly is someone that might be dangerous oh uh, yeah and you reevaluate everyone right. who you let into your life <laughs> so yeah. so i mean i apologize to everyone who was my friend online <laughs> i got rid of a lot of people in the right. middle of my pregnancy because i went through this really psycho stage where i was like who are yeah. these people i don't know if i want them to see my baby's pictures That's when she right. comes out you know right so it was it was weird um well probably justified <laughs> and um i'm sure it's the beginning of a 
a, a lifelong fear. <laughs> lifelong fear is about, you know what Thanks. I mean? Yeah, no, I hear you it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I, I don't know who said it. I'm sure someone like Oprah or something that <laughs> when you have a kid, it's like um, your heart, heart is outside you. Mm. Like it was walking around doing its own thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and so. she's not even walking yet. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. And, and even with my, my parents, my parents watch her a lot. We, we get very lucky to take her over to Hollister and my parents will babysit her one Good. one weekend per week so that Chris and I can get some sleep. And uh, and for these interviews that I've been doing, uh, I need a babysitter sure. and my mom and dad are like, well, we're we're the ones because we're, we don't trust anyone else yeah. in the world yet. You know, right. she's so tiny. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that poem was fantastic. It is good. Uh, you know, if you want to borrow the book sometime, by For all means, sure. of course. So that was Raul, Raul Fernandez. Yeah, Transmitter and Receiver. Nice, yeah. nice. I'm going to find him. Maybe I'll get him on the show. Yeah, you should actually. I Absolutely. bet you. I Pacific bet you Northwest. Find him. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Sounds good. All right, Anyways, so who else do you have? Yeah, I have a couple of more, if you don't mind. Another no, not at all. About, we have plenty of time. Uh, another one about babies. So this is by <laughs> Barbara Duffy. And the book is called Simple Machines. It says that she won the 2015 Washington Prize. Like, I really don't know much about her, and I've only you know, made my way through the book a little bit. Mm -hmm. But you know how it is, you come across a poem or two, and you just stick with those poems for a, a few weeks or a month or so, and you can't really read anything else. Mm -hmm. So um, It's like a good song on an album. It is, actually. I'm glad books of poems are like that, too, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I guess this is like a playlist. Um, <laughs> so this is also, I guess, you know, she is a recent mother, I think, and, um, you know, probably it um, has something to do with conception and, and childbirth and everything. And, you know, I just think the language is so amazing in this. And it's a very skinny poem and narrow and, and has very hard edges. It's in couplets. Mm. And, and it's very... Um, not scientific. She's also interested in science and machines, and it's called simple machines. But it's it's a, it's got a, a very technical tone to it. Okay. It's called inclined plane. I'm a non-scientist. I shoot this obliquely. If you screw and screw with still no body housed in your overfolded frame, mm. you will be subject to platitudinism. Mm -hmm. It's not in God's plan. It wasn't meant to be. You wouldn't be given more than you could jinny down that radical needle of motion, kinetic thrust of time. Perhaps your house twists with truncated genes. Yet I felt my child like a compass needle in night navigation, slanting, right as polar pull some slipway in my tilt, his runabout nerves. I semi-shelved him till the doctor and his art, that acceleration of my milk and family, somehow returned me to subsistent skin. In a word, he was weight. He was strong, pitched, wedged in there, mine, and striking with small souls. 
Good, eh? I got yeah. goosebumps. Yeah, well, I chose these for you. Um, <laughs> Thank you. But you know, it's such a precise poem. I don't. I have to say that I don't know much about it. I, it's not from an experience that I, of course. Um, but I just recognize that it's incredibly technical and and tight, mm. and um, uh, the words are um, are very special. You know, each. Uh, um, Especially the way that it's written, like I said, and has a very narrow frame and couplets. Um, it's just a po. It seems to me like a poet that's working very, very hard. Mm -hmm. You know, and mm -hmm. I pre I admire that. Uh, you know. Yeah. No. That's that's something that I definitely look for in poetry, and also, I don't I don't know if it's true, but I tend to find that the poets that I like most are poets who have read so many other poets. Yeah. Ah, you know, yeah. and I and I don't know what it is about a tightness or that kind of poem. Like I can't imagine that Barbara Duffy hasn't read a, a handful of other poets right. in order to come up with those. I couplets. suspect you're right that she has. You know. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, people ask me, oh, well, what kind of poetry do you like, or what kind, what what kind of um, things do you prefer? And I I don't really have any specifics that I can lay down. I just know a good poem when I yeah. see it. And then I have people who will say to me, well, I'm a poet, too. And the first thing I ask them is, who do you read? Mm -hmm. And if they say they don't read poetry, then to me, I feel like, well, read some more poetry and then yeah. show me your poems. Yeah, I think at the very least, you know, since um, for poets, it's, it's so rare to get published. Mm. And um, if I could be honest, for someone like me, um, I'm never going to get published in um, journals unless I am asked to, because I don't submit to journals. Mm -hmm. I mean, let me let me say that again. I don't submit to white journals, right? Uh, which are journals, mm -hmm. you know. So um, uh, <laughs> you, the chances are so rare um, uh, that we should at the very least be readers and purchasers of poetry. We should be consuming the poetry out that's out there. Yes. We should be as contemporary as possible, participating in, in the whole project, since um, getting published is, is, um, is not necessarily the, the, key, the goal. It's, so, it's rare. It's, it is rare. And for some of us, it's uh, very unlikely. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It becomes more and more unlikely. Yeah, no, I agree, and and you know, I mean, I've had this conversation with someone before because I have my second my second manuscript is pretty much done. It's waiting to go out into the world, and and my first book was public published by Willow Books, who is a, a press that focuses on writers of color yeah, exclusively sure. to increase our numbers in the in the world, and and part of me is like, well, I want to continue with them, but then the other part of me is saying, well, do I search elsewhere? Am I supposed to be going further and beyond and trying to break through into the quote unquote, into the white world of, of publishing. And if I do, what does that mean? Yeah. Um, I don't know in your, in, in the case of that, I, I mean, my first response of course would be to say, no, you should just go for it with, uh, with Willow, Willow cause they're so good. And the books they produce are so beautiful. They are. But uh, if I could go back to the re, you know, the, the reason I don't submit to journals, unless I'm asked or something like that, you know, I stopped submitting to, um, to, to journals uh, about um, 10 years ago. And it was after I stopped submitting to them that I um, came up, 
prepared the first my first manuscript, which is the which mm. is this book. Mm -hmm. And what happened is that um, I could never get a collection together that was uh, that I thought was good enough uh, in the form of a book because I, I had previously thought that I should first get my poems published in journals right. and then it, a, a collection would coalesce mm -hmm. in my publication record and that would become the basis of my first book. Mm -hmm. The problem was the problem is is that the space allotted to someone like me in these journals is mm -hmm. so incredibly small and there's so little oxygen there mm -hmm. that the poem that I had to produce to get accepted in that tiny space allotted for me was a poem that I could not live with. Mm. It was not really my poem. Oh, geez. And so I was never <laughs> able to create a collection that way. Right. So I decided that I would not submit my poems anymore. And what happened is that I tried to write a book instead. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have to worry about whether any of my poems were good enough to get into white journals. Right. Because it wasn't interesting to me to get into those journals anymore. Right. No, and it's true because, you know, the funny thing is, is that I, I'm, I'm given a lot of journals everywhere, you know, AWP and all these places, they give me a lot of journals. And I look through them and the first thing I do is look and try and find the poems that yeah. are written by by people of color. The space is so small. It's not, it's, yeah, no, you're right. There is no oxygen there. You know. And unless, unless I know that an editor is a person of color, in a, in a few cases, for example, two-thirds north out of Stockholm um, University in Sweden, um, the, the head director is Paul Schreiber. He's from Santa Cruz. He's a white guy. But um, Adnan is his editor, and Adnan is always picking really amazing people. Mm. And so unless I know that the editor is a person of color, I don't bother sending anymore because, like you said, what would happen is I felt incredibly, I felt like I was a minstrel in the books. Mm -hmm. Like I was there for the show, like right. my last they name. They had to have one. Right. You They've got to I mean? have a Hispanic, so why not throw Miss Escamilla in there? Yeah, I, I'm talking, I'm, I'm t that's, that's very interesting, but I'm, I'm even talking about what happens before you get in the, in the book. I'm talking about writing the poem, knowing mm. that you have to be, you have to fight for the very small space. What kind of poem would you produce knowing that it has to be a poem that fits in a small space allotted to someone like you? Mm. And, and it, it, you know, there can't be any errors. You can't take a chance. You can't, like... Br the you poem, have to clean it up. Yeah, it has to be just perfect. And who wants to write that kind of poem? That's so funny. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I'm not going to compete in that way anymore. Instead, I'm writing a, a book, and I'm not trying to submit these to get these poems published anywhere. I'm just trying to write a book. Yeah. You know, get the book published. It's I'm just not going to have that battle anymore. Well, I mean... The battle was won. I mean, this book is very good. Happy You Are Here is one of my favorite books. And I, we, when we moved to this small little studio that you're in right now, I had to get rid of a lot of books because we just don't have the space anymore. And so I donated a lot of my books to the library. And believe me, I was like, nope, not that one. <laughs> That's very kind of you. <laughs> but, you know, you get my drift. And in the same way, that, just as you were saying, too, um, it's just a hard battle. I just don't think that we necessarily have to fight that battle. It, 
the kind of poems that we produce under those um, uh, requirements are not honest poems. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, and it feels the same when I have to choose poems to read in front of an audience that yeah. I know is going to be absolutely and in front of a reader's list that I know absolutely. is mostly going to be white and the audience is mostly going to be white and yeah. then I have to choose what poems to read and maybe this is confusing for for white people who are listening they're saying well I, I don't see a difference or I don't see this kind of situation as being important but as as writers of color and people of color in the world today we are othered we're othered on so many different levels in so many different systems, systems of education, systems of knowledge, systems of work and employment, we're othered in all of these spaces that it just makes sense that we would also be othered in the world of poetry. Right. So unless you, listener, are going to deny that people of color are not othered in all of these other spaces and not um, sort of um, misrepresented in other, these other spaces, then you can't argue that this is also a conversation to be had about poetry. Yeah. Unfortunately. Right. Well, speaking of that, yeah. um, <laughs> how, about, how about another poem that I think you're really going to love? <laughs> I see the title. The title is called Other. Nice. And uh, it's from a, a collection, anthology called British and Irish Poetry Since 1970, Other. And I just wanted to read one poem. It's by John Agard. Okay. Uh, A-G-A-R-D, John Agard, mm -hmm. and um, he's from, he was born in Guyana, mm -hmm. but uh, a British, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so let me just say that it has non-standard English, non-standard spelling. So I'm just going to read it as I see it. And okay. I'm not trying to, I, you know, I'm just going to read it as honestly as I can. Okay. It's called Half Cast. Half Cast. Excuse me, standing on one leg. I'm half cast. Explain yourself what you mean when you say half cast. You mean when Picasso makes red and green is a half cast <laughs> canvas? Explain yourself what you mean when you say half cast. You mean when light and shadow mix in the sky is a half-cast weather? Well, in that case, England weather nearly always half-cast. Hmm. In fact, some of them cloud half-cast till them overcast. So spiteful them don't want the sun pass, <laughs> aras. Explain yourself. What you mean when you say half-cast? You mean when Tchaikovsky sit down at the piano and mix a black key with a white key is a half-cast symphony? Explain yourself what you mean. I'm listening to you with the keen half of my ear. I'm looking at you with the keen half of my eye. And when I'm introduced to you, I'm sure you'll understand why I offer you half a hand. <laughs> and when I sleep at night, I close half a eye. Consequently, when I dream, I dream half a dream. And when moon begin to glow, I half cast human being. 
cast half a shadow, but you must come back tomorrow with the whole of your eye and the whole of your ear and the whole of your mind, and I will tell you the other half of my story. <laughs> Isn't That's that amazing? So good. I know. All of his stuff is like that. Oh you know? man! And he like set us up. It was like I was reading. It was like an introduction to a to a story. You know, when he sets us up with those. This is like maybe this is what a half cast yeah. is, and then he just oh my gosh! Such great use of repetition, yeah. uh, n- non-standard English, you know, techniques. Uh, it must be so incredibly hard to get that right, you know, to reproduce the, the the I don't know if it's patois or whatever he's trying to go for, um, the accents, etc. It's a lot of work, and, and you read it so well. Oh, thanks. I've been practicing. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> But he does that in all, um, all of his, uh, in a lot of his work, and of course, I don't want to read another one, but just to give you an idea, the last line of another one of his poems is, I'm making the Queen's English accessory to my offense. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So yeah. Anyways, it's from a book called Other, and it's John Agard. Nice. So, nice. Yeah, I thought you'd like You that. are such a treat today. Yeah, oh, man, I, I can't wait until everyone gets to hear this. This is going to be great. Um, well, the last time you were on the show, we, I, got a lot of, I got a lot of very good calls, too. So I I'm really glad. appreciate I'm glad. it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if we're in the world, there's got to be a ton of other... <laughs> <laughs> More of us out I'm there. Sure, Come on. I'm sure. Yeah, there are, in <laughs> fact. Yeah, well, we've got to find them. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, so you have more? Well, um, I could read. Uh, I, I did bring. I did bring a few. Um. Uh, um. Others. Um. I could read one of my own too. I actually uh, was going to ask you. I was going to ask you to read two poems that have become my favorites from your book, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. So I really like Tipping Points. I don't remember if you read that one last time or I don't, not. I don't think I did. And also, thank you. Oh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, I would love to. And if, if it's all right with you, um, I, if I could read a new one, too. Yeah. I, I only have it on my phone right now, so I'm going to read it off of my phone, Why if don't you don't mind. I don't. Why don't you... Uh, do you let's... Why don't we finish with your new one? Okay, good. Let's finish it's from with my new manuscript, one. actually. Sounds I'll tell good. you about that soon. So, so I'm asking um, Ayaz to read from his book, Happy You're Here. Um, and I'd like you to read Tipping Points and Thank You, if you don't mind. No, of course. I'd love to. Yeah. I guess I'll start with uh, read Thank You first. Okay. You know, it's... Um, uh, let's see, where is it? I can't remember. It is page 41. 41. Okay, thank you. Sure. So, yeah, it's called Thank You. I used to write of the moon. You couldn't tell if it was waxing or waning, was the punchline. Of course, there was a sliver of truth to the moon saving me. It lit Montreal as I walked crazily after a dose of medicine. How or what you are, I don't know, except when full you are like a cake earthlings eat from. <laughs> I love that last one. <laughs> so yeah, just having fun there, you know. That's um, fantastic. 
Yeah, I could read tipping points, sure. Please, okay. it's on page 23. Okay, tipping points. Snow, plow to my door, thaw. I told you my mouth is a hummingbird's lodge. That last one's beauty. If only I could make it to the Ngorongoro crater and empty my pockets. No living woman can compete with Rita Hayworth. Curry my boiled lentils. <laughs> Strike this match anywhere. Essay topic, origin of the kiss. It was her dark hair, the red oak from the kitchen window, gunshot in Sarajevo, mosque in Samara. Oh gosh, you are, you know, you don't need, you don't need to do anything to your lines. They're fantastic. Wow. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, there's no need to mess with form. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> Just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> My gosh, thank you. So if it's all right, I'd like to read this new one. It really means a lot to me, actually, that you'd let me. Um, so I finished my second, ma uh, my, uh, second manuscript, and it's called uh, White City Kid Tropic. So you have to imagine the white and the tropic are in parentheses. Okay. So, white mm -hmm. city, kid tropic. You know what I'm going for yes. there. Yes. Mm -hmm. And part of the book is to um, express the idea that there are um, indigenous and local forms of Islam that um, don't fall under the Persian and Arab spheres. Okay. Now look, that's very political and, and all of that, sociological. I'm, I'm really just writing poems about yeah. regular stuff too. But I just wanted to try to talk in this book about, you know, in America we often, or in the West, we think of the colonial experience as mainly being Western European countries coming to um, countries and places in Africa and America of course in South America etc but for the other half of the world mm -hmm. the colonial experience is imperial Islam oh. from the Arab world and the Persian world spreading over Southeast Asia oh. and you have this in this incredible incredible uh, a population of culture groups in Southeast Asia that for the past 1500 years have been dealing with the um, the steamrolling mm -hmm. of empire in this case from Arab and from Arabia and Persia not from Western Europe Wow! so it's hard to reorient yourself to think of that right. uh, when you're here in the West but for a mo for much of the Asian world that's the imperial experience huh. and I'm trying to suggest in this book that there, there's a battle there as well that representations of um, Islam in the media are almost entirely um, Arab and Persian even though most Muslims are neither mm. do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm no. neither Arab nor Persian right, or, uh, right. so I'm trying to express that idea and this poem uh, this poem is, sorry, go ahead. I'm thinking about the, the Muslims in China that we came Absolutely. across a lot. The Uyghurs? Uyghurs, yeah, Uyghurs, exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking about them. That's exactly the kinds of groups I'm referring to. Nice. Okay, good. So this poem is called Anti-Martyr. Okay. 
anti-martyr. I don't have to love my lashes to be a prophet among my people. You'll never see me on fire or at the moment of impact. My glories aren't blazes. I won't drink blood or eat brain. My people don't ask me to put my head in the lion's mouth. They don't mind if I lie in gutters, since dust ignores me. They are the champagne of people, farming butterflies. None of them want to see me in pieces or remembered as a wisp of smoke. I'm not to be kept in dungeons or away from my favorite food. I'm not the kind of prophet you pray to or throw stones at. Don't worry about the jokes I tell. I'm just trying to keep the birds happy. <laughs> wow, another great show. Thank you so much for being on the show. You're listening to KKUP Cupertino 91.5 FM here in the Bay Area and beyond the Bay at kkup.org. That was Ayaz Parani, author of Happy You Are Here and uh, a great friend of the show and of KKUP. Thank you for listening. That's poetry that's uh, out of our minds. And I'll be back next week with another poet and some more poetry for you. So have a good night. Where you